This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to Dojo Live. Today is Thursday, March 11th, 2021. This is the fourth show for this week and the final one. Don't worry, we'll be back Monday at noon. Uh, today I'm joined by, we have a full house today, I'm joined by Carlos Ponce in Cuernavaca, Mexico. Hi, Carlos. And hey I'm there. joined by Kim Lantis in Hermosillo, Mexico. Hey. And Marielle Navarro from Chihuahua, Mexico. Hi, Marielle. Hi, Kim. Hey, Hi. Carlos. All right. So everybody's wondering, why you got the full house today? Because we got an awesome topic and an awesome guest that we're going to dive into in just a minute. Before we do that, let's get to know our guest. His name is Miguel Fernandez. He's the CEO and co-founder of CapChase. And we're talking about money. We're talking about corporate financing, money that you need to grow your business. Everybody's favorite topic, right? So before we get into the topic today, let's get to know Miguel a little bit. Miguel, could you please uh, introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, today, yeah. Hi, team. Uh, good to be here. Yeah, so uh, I'm Miguel, um, co-founder and CEO of CapChase. Um, let's see how you do about myself. I'm originally from, from Madrid, from Spain. I grew up there, lived in England and Germany. Then I, I'm an engineer by, by, by studies, by, undergrad, by background, sorry. I did mechanical engineering in Madrid. I did energy engineering, nuclear in Munich. And then um, I started my career in consulting. I did a couple of years in consulting, doing banking, TNT, and retail. Fell in love with fintech there and with tech more broadly. Then I left consulting, joined a pre-revenue SaaS company in Madrid, where I was the first person in sales. And I built the sales and customer success teams there. And then I moved to the UK to open up the local office, to London again to open up the local office, build a team, enter a market, and so on. So during those three years, as we took the company from zero to a few million ARR, we experienced most of the pains that we're trying to solve right now at Capsis, which we can we can jump into that. A bit later and then after those three years i left to go and get my mba at hbs i spent the first few months researching a lot around working capital and how to help companies to either pay later or get paid earlier and then we looked at different verticals and that topic that we were learning so much about clicked together with the pain that we felt our previous company and then we came up with the idea of cap chase we dropped out of business school and have been working at it since. Wow, okay, let's talk about CapChase. What is it? What do you guys do? Yeah, so so let me start by what we aim to do in the long term, which is basically put funding on autopilot so that founders, so that tech founders can focus more on what really matters, right? Which is creating amazing products and distributing those products to customers. So how we're doing this is we understand really, really well all the future payments that are going to be coming into a company, into a into a tech company, we do so by connecting to the systems, understanding, okay, from now to 12 months from now, what payments are going to come in, in whatever shape or form. They can be subscriptions, they can be annual payments, renewals, they can be transactional, you know, um, payments from customers and so on. And then we say, we give access to up to 60% of those to the company on day zero. So they can reinvest those future revenues into growth instead of tapping into VC money or 
getting banking debt, which comes with a lot of bells and whistles and comments and so on. So yeah, basically what it means is that funders can raise the money to run their businesses in a second instead of a bunch of meetings and so on. And then they do so without getting diluted, which is great for them because I mean, I'm not sure if you know this, but you probably do the, the average funding team only owns 15% of the equity at exit, right? So with CapChase, they get to own all of it. Yeah, it's quite a shame sometimes that when you do the math, you would have made more just being an employee somewhere. But uh, we can talk about that another time. This sounds like an interesting topic. I mean, what I heard is the easiest way to get money for your business. So let's go right into the topic. Uh, who's introducing the topic today? Kim, are you in? Carlos, yes. Please, let's kick it off and get right in there. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks, Miguel, for joining us today. And Tulio, um, Today, we're going to be answering one question. The question is, is it possible to achieve hyper growth without selling large parts of your company to investors? And uh, uh, in other words, we're going to be discussing the topic of financing beyond venture capitalists. Dilution is not the solution. So, Miguel, let's start with that. Please tell us and the audience, why did you choose this particular topic and why did you think it was relevant for this day and age? Thank you. Yeah, sure. Um, why did we choose it? I mean, we're speaking with hundreds of funders every month uh, of tech founders specifically, right? And they're, the most obvious pain in a, in a growing company is getting financing to grow the business, right? So there are a few ways to get financing. There's the traditional, well, let's say there is the bootstrapping way, the bootstrap way where you don't get any external financing and you have to be very conscious about how much cash you spend in the business. You have to understand when cash is coming in. It's really hard and it's kind of slow, right? So then sometimes, you know, in these tech companies, when you need a lot of upfront investment until you can generate revenues, there's the other world, which is selling parts of your business to venture capital to get cash to then grow the business quickly when you don't have revenues yet. So that process, takes a lot of time and it's very expensive. The average funder takes 30 meetings to get a term sheet. And then that's when they get a term sheet, they sell a part of the company to get money. And they do so, let's say four or five times over the life of a, of a company. So then at exit, they end up owning a tiny bit because they've been selling parts and parts and parts and parts to, to fund the growth. So it was a pain that we felt in the past. We didn't know how to deal with it. And now with captives, what we're giving these funders is the moment they get revenue, they can start tapping into those future revenues to fund growth now. And then these companies are growing very fast. The future revenues start to get larger and larger and larger, which can generate more and more growth. So it turns into a, a flywheel of growth that really changes the way they operate the businesses. They can grow much faster without the operational hustle of raising money. Mm -hmm. And then they can keep more parts of the business. I see. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was enlightening. Okay, uh, guys, Tulio, Kim. Yeah, so I'm curious to uh, learn a little bit more how it works, right? I, I've, I know of uh, factoring where you borrow against uh, your contract values or your invoices. Usually you can strike a pretty good deal on low percentage rates with many companies who do that. I have to prove the value of those contracts. Um, good reason why you want long-term agreements versus short-term agreement to have higher value for that purpose. 
I know of debt financing, which obviously takes a long time. The factoring is the one I've historically seen as the fastest route to money. What's different about this? Is it similar? What's unique about this? And how do you go about validating future value? Okay. Wait, yeah, I'm just tapping the, the, the questions to make sure I remember everything. Yeah, so um, factoring, right? What's the difference? Factoring um, is associated to an invoice, right? So you need to send an invoice and then the factoring, what, what it does is that the factoring company buys the invoice and then owns the invoice and is the one in charge of collecting from the final customer, right? So um, what this means is that suddenly incentives get made. The tech company wants to give a very good service to the customer, right? And the factoring company only wants to get paid. So the factoring company doesn't care about the long-term relationship. They just want to get paid. So they keep exerting pressure into the final customer to get paid. So what would be an opportunity to, to create a relationship doesn't happen because instead of the tech company having a relationship with the customer, it's somebody else asking to get paid. So then also, if you have customers that are paying monthly, you have to issue invoices every month and you have to sell them to a company to go and factor them every month. What, what Catfish does is it connects in real time with the data of the company. It understands exactly what payments are going to be coming in. And then we just advance those payments. We're not buying those payments. We're not buying the invoices. We're advancing against them. So then the whole operation is exactly the same. The end customers keep paying the tech company. But when the money comes in, automatically Catfish spots it and gets paid back. So. It's invisible for the final customer. Operationally, it's seamless. You don't need to sell invoices to anybody or assign rights to anybody. It just all happens in the background without without anything. And how is different from debt, right? Um, debt usually is, is senior. It's senior to, to equity, right? So if the company, for a reason, goes under, if the tech company goes under until the debt holders get paid, nobody sees a dollar, right? And if they submit the IP and the assets, nobody's a dollar after the uh, uh, sorry, before the debt gets paid off. Capsis is not like that. It's super light. It's, it's not. It's not dead. It has no um, claims to any assets or anything. So then um, it is just a, a very light structure to set up. No reporting. Nothing. Everything happens in the background. Just some advantages against that. That's that's really cool. Uh, I have a question related to that. Um... So you basically serve uh, companies that pretty much work like giving software as a service. Um, it's something like, let's say, subscriptions. Do you guys work with any other companies or that's your market, companies that offer subscriptions? We offer with any kind of tech-enabled recurring revenue uh, companies. That can be you know, companies that charge everything yearly upfront, or companies that have a combination between subscriptions, contractual revenue, mm, transactional revenue from you know a ton of different transactions from the same customer basis. What we're, what we're looking for is companies that have, um, yeah, tech-enabled processes, and that have a customer base that keeps paying with some frequency. You know, it can be every month, every day, every week, every year. But we can that we can actually forecast what will happen in the future, looking at the current customer base. Uh, speaking particularly in the case of a subscription, what happens if a uh, company offers subscriptions, uh, they start working with captures, and then for some reason, customer canceled the subscription, but they already got uh, the money up front from you. What's, what is the scenario yeah. there? 
that happens all the time and and it's nothing happens right it's, it's, it's uh what happens is that the system recognizes that a customer has stopped paying so first of all it tells the tech company like hey like customer three stopped paying and then what it does is it looks for all the other customers that haven't been financed against and looks at the most similar one to let's say customer three that churn and then substitutes it so then there's another customer making up for those payments and for the sasco this means that they don't have to pay for the techco means that they don't have to pay back anything they just get a report like hey customer three stopped paying and now customer 11 is making up for it so that's the only thing that's cool it's a team effort <laughs> so it's basically financing on an as needed basis with what's available basis because i I'll be the devil's advocate here. I kind of get at this. <laughs> you know the adage, when something sounds too good to be true, it's probably not true. So who's assuming the risk here? What is so the risk? The, wow. the risk would be that, imagine that instead of one customer churn, imagine that 50% of the customers churn or the company runs out of cash, right? We think of runs out of cash, then we take the risk, right? We, we catch is taking company risk and it's like a like a, yeah, like if the company, if that happens, like we lose, it's, it's, it's fine. We try to help everybody to not get to that position, but sometimes it hasn't happened yet, right, ever, but it will happen for sure, right? So, um, yeah, but then like the, the churn risk, that's a different risk and that's taken by the company itself, right? If a customer churns, then we just substitute uh, one customer. Yeah, I mean, and um, let's say it's too good to be true. Um, I guess that it's just that this technology wasn't available a few years ago, right? And now it is. So so then, yeah, like this would be considered standard a couple of years from now, right? It would be just like the way to fund tech business and it, it would be business as usual. It won't be too good to be true. But this just simply didn't exist last year, right? Very cool. So what are some of the safeguards that are taken in place? Like when you're looking at who Capchase is going to partner with, what's that ideal, you know, partnership? Who Who's that profile? And what are you doing to protect yourselves in addition to your users, of course? Yeah, so so it's really tech-enabled retail revenue companies that are growing more than 20% year over year. And and yeah, that's pretty much it. They have recurring revenue, right? So, so then what happens is that uh, what the system does is it understands really well those future payments. It understands when cash inflows are happening and when cash outflows are happening. And then it tells the businesses, hey, you could get up to, let's say, 60% of your annual recurring revenue today. Let's say, imagine, let's put numbers. Let's say a $10 million annual recurring revenue company, they could get up to 6 million from CapSys, right? And then as they grow from 10 to 30, they could get up to, when they are 30, they could get up to 18 million from CapSys. But if you think about it, nobody needs that much money up front unless they're going to buy a competitor or you know enter a new market or whatever. So then what the system does is it recognizes all these cash inputs and outflows and spots when there are going to be cash gaps, right? And says, hey, you could take up to 6 million if you want to, but this month should take 300K. The following month, a million and a half. The third month, you have a few renewals coming in. So take zero because you don't need it. The following month, you know, take another number. So the system prescribes how much you should be getting so that every time they get money, they can deploy it automatically on return generating activities like customer acquisition or um, covering working capital, you know, and so on, as opposed to having a ton of cash in the balance sheet that's just costing money and it's not providing returns. 
Okay. So, I got a, uh, I got a, I got a question yeah, here. Go. Yeah, uh, Miguel. <clears throat> From the average user standpoint, let's say that uh, I am a, a software as a service company, and I'm starting into looking into CapChase uh, as a possible alternative. So, uh, I'm, as you know, we've been last year and even this year, we're we're all going through a lot, and technology is no exception, right? So we're all like. A lot of things are happening. So, and because we're discussing um, money, where we're discussing funds, we're discussing transactions. Uh, how do you, what would you say to someone that might have, you know, concerns about, let's say, security or cybersecurity? What is CapChase doing in, in, in this regard? It's just to prevent, you know, bad surprises, if applicable, yeah. of course. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we have like bank grade security, and for example, we don't manage any um, personal information at all from you know, officers or from customers or from the companies that our customers are working with. All of that data is encrypted. So, mm -hmm. I mean, if somebody were to break into our systems, which would be pretty hard, it would be as breaking into a bank, right? Um, they would only get strings of numbers and letters that mean nothing, right? And 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 like. There's also no access to the flow of funds. So in that case, we take this extremely seriously. Um, there's there's no room for for error. You know, when it comes to um, how much money the customers are getting, how much money we're getting back from them, and so on. So so yeah, we take that extremely extremely seriously. Um, we dedicate the best and brightest minds to that. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Guys, let's, go ahead, please. Let's shift a little bit about uh, the journey of building this company. Uh, did you have, is this something that's new, that's disruptive, or that's been done before? How do you go about, have you gotten any pushback? What has it been like to get adoption? It seems so simple and straightforward, but what's what's it been like to, to position this, to sell this, to gain it's customers? Been, it's been absolutely crazy right like we went live and then things exploded and we've been growing incredibly quickly every month so month after month after month after month we have achieved you know like what the average company takes four or five years we took six months it's, it's insane it just keeps growing like crazy because the founders this really changes the way that these founders grow their businesses they go from growing let's say four or five percent month of a month to growing 10 15 percent month of a month without selling parts of the business. And they keep unlocking more and more future revenues to grow. And then if you keep unlocking more revenues to grow, then your future revenues become larger as well because you're gonna invest more into acquisition and so on, right? So it's like turning companies into growth flywheels. It's amazing for them. And then they keep telling their friends and their friends start using it and they keep telling their friends and so on. So yeah, the adoption has been phenomenal. We have been very surprised. We've grown the company from, you know, four people to 30 people in, in six months and it just keeps growing like crazy. Um, and yeah, it's working really well. And we just keep keep thinking, you know, and asking these founders, like, hey, beside cash and financing is obviously a problem. But what other problems are you facing, you know, with when thinking about managing your revenue, managing your cash? Like, what comes next, right? Financing is one part, but what comes next? And it's great. Like, we're getting incredible feedback. And, and yeah, I don't think the world is ever going to go back to to a, to a world before captures, right? Like, just financing companies based on VC money. It will be a combination of. So, in a, so are you disrupting the Series A, Series 
that whole evolution of VC funding, mm -hmm. or is it more like the next, you know, a seed B round kind of a thing, pre-series A kind of a thing? Where do you see yourself playing? What's the sweet spot that you're really going after? I think that we are not disrupting VC so much. Like VC funding, I mean, going down the VC route is not just about the money, right? It's about the the partner you get. It's about the um, advice, the introductions, the team, and so on, right? So I guess that we will be disrupting, one, bad VCs, like VCs that just give you money and nothing else. That is the most expensive source of capital that you would ever get. And then all the traditional sources of financing, like debt and things like that, that seem to be like, they're like lambs in wolf's clothing, right? right? Like relatively low price, but then they start putting a bunch of opening fees, unused fees. It takes eight weeks to renegotiate. Um, they own, they have a ton of covenants and warrants and guarantees and so on. Those things, like they need to, to evolve or they will disappear. So those are the ones that we're disrupting more. And, Interesting. And in terms of the stage, sorry. Uh, I would say more towards the series A, B, and C. That's where companies start working with CAPSIS because, um, yeah, before, like when they have no revenues, they need to get another source of financing, right? But when they start getting revenues, they start tapping into those revenues to fund their growth and it their future revenues. And it becomes like that flower I spoke about earlier. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I envision that comes next, and I don't under, I understand this not to be your current business model, but it would be the idea of like uh, financial like consultation services. Because from my own experience, once I have that money in hand, that money's a lot easier to spend. So, what do you do, or how would you advise your users to spend that money that they now have that they didn't previously had have wisely? Like how how does one go about avoiding that that temptation? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so that's why we want to understand really well all the payments that are going to be coming in the future, so we can recommend what is the right amount they should be taking. Because the truth is that like founders are so focused on going the business that sometimes the easy way is I'm gonna get as much money as I can and then I figure it out. But that really yeah it, it can be expensive, it can be inefficient, and so on. So that's why the system recommends how much it should be taking on a monthly basis. And then um, there can be some optimization um, problems put there, like, hey, I want to cover all my acquisition spend and I want to have zero burn, right? So then the system recommends you, hey, this is how much you should be taking. Or I want to get to cash flow positive, positive status in the, in the following 12 months. Then the system recommends how much you should be taking and how you should be spending it to, to get there, right? So yeah. Um, Financial advisory, I think it's it's complex if it involves like uh, a lot of people, but the system can more or less substitute at least how much uh, the decisions around how much money you should be getting and when and where it should be deployed, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I guess it's it, it you know it's the right solution depending on the maturity of the team and their ability to execute, right? So. I think one of the values, as you mentioned, that VCs bring to the table, besides the connections and the recommendations they can make in in advancing a company's objectives in the marketplace because of those connections, is also the ability to look at operationally where there's gaps or opportunities to make improvements, right? To to get 
the get those things uh, either cash flow positive or be smart about how long the money that's being lent or given will last. So that's you know, that's why they're involved. They get a seat on the board and so forth. So I, I, what you're what I'm hearing is this system does some of those things uh, if you're savvy enough and you've got the experience to make some of those decisions on your own and you don't necessarily need that value add that a VC does. Is that, did I hear that correctly? And if that's the case, how do you work that out? Do you have some algorithms you've built in? Are you using some AI? How do you get the feedback yeah. to make those intelligent recommendations? Yeah. Okay. So, so, so yeah, let me divide that into a couple of uh, answers. So the, the first one is that most of our customers um, have either some degree of VC investment as well. And the use captives in combination, right? Mm -hmm. And then as they get more mature, the the captives part becomes larger and larger because their future revenues become larger and larger, right? So they are usually working with a VC as well, and they know. I mean, that they, they are. I mean, they have been operating their businesses for more than twelve months usually, so then they know where the money, how to deploy the money to get growth, right? And the system recommends them how they should be doing it and in what, like how much they, they should be needing to to get the targets. Uh, and how it does, uh, how the system does it is basically on based on algorithms and based on forecasts that are carried out by by, by yeah by by our um, underwriting algorithms, by our data scientists, and so on. So yeah, I mix up. I think that's really beautiful, and I think that there's like the um, this hope going back to the title of today's show dilution not being the solution. So even if that first step is you know some venture capital. And you've, let's say, lost X percentage, lost X percentage of your ownership. As your company is successfully growing by capitalizing on Cap Chase, then you're essentially gaining back percentage, right? And you can kind of come, which would I imagine be much harder um, without utilizing someone like you. Well, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, the biggest challenge companies have once they start rolling and they sort of crack the code on uh, scaling is not being able to scale fast enough because of lack of capital, right? So that's where you start going for a series A or a series B because you're trying to infuse the cash that you need to expand the business to keep up with the demand. And unfortunately, you end up giving up equity for that and you get diluted. And the other options for financing are not always necessarily very attractive. So what I'm hearing is this isn't the one or the other. It's an enhancement, right? You have the other option to say, hey, you've got contract, you've got user base, you have subscription, there's a trajectory of where they're going. There's money we can give you without diluting the business in such a way that you can keep up with the demand and continue to expand your business. Have uh, we hit the nail on the head on that? Exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's and shift a little bit. Line. Dilution is for chemistry, not for cash. <laughs> exactly. Dilution. Let's talk about a little bit the, the company's culture, right? Because this is pretty cool what you guys are doing. What kind of people do you typically attract to come work with you? I mean, are they people who are, who are you know, trying to change the world? What's, what's the yeah. typical kind of individual that would want to come work for you that you, you guys are creating a culture around? Yeah, so so it's it's mission oriented people, right? Like that, that really want to change the way that founders that really want to change the, the state that founders maintain at exit, right? And we're looking for people that are super smart. So I, I, let me tell you about our values, right? The overarching philosophy is that 
it never gets easier that we just go faster, right? Whenever we achieve a milestone, it's never like, oh, we did it. It's always like, hey, what comes next, right? How can we become 10 times better? How can we do things, you know, 10 times faster, right? So it's always about getting better and better. We're looking for people that are um, intellectually humble, so very smart, but also they know that there are a lot of things that they don't know yet and put things in place to learn and learn. For people that are builders, uh, that, you know, going from one to N is hard. But going from zero to one, that's where the magic happens, right? That's where the true innovations happen. And we're looking for people that enjoy that. And then for people that, um, yeah, work hard, but work smart as well, right? Like, it's one thing to push really hard, but if you're pushing in the wrong direction or against the wall, you achieve nothing, right? So work smart is just as important. Nice. Guys, you guys have any additional questions? Otherwise, we're up on time. Not right now, Tulu. As a matter of fact, we only need the time to make all the proper announcements for next week. I just have <laughs> one final, final question, Miguel. This yeah. is your first startup, right? This is your first uh, business as an entrepreneur. Any words of wisdom of what that journey has been like, things to avoid and things to really focus on for those who may be sitting on the fence thinking, I want to go down that path, but I'm not sure. What would you say? I think, I think that's... Um... I think something obvious, right? Like the most important thing is people, right? As, as, a, as a founder, there are a lot of things that I don't know. And there are many people out there that are way better than me in a lot of, in a lot of ways. So it's about thinking who do you want to who do you want to get excited about joining the team that can raise the bar for everyone and keep improving, you know, everything in the company. So it's about, yes, spend time thinking about who you want to bring on board and do whatever it takes to get them excited to come here, raise the bar, and, and, and teach everybody how to do things better. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you, Miguel, as our guest. We'll have to stay in touch with you to see how you progress along. Stay Great. with us as we go off the air. But before we do, uh, let's announce what's coming up next week. Besides the recap show on Monday, we're going to recap all four shows of this week in 10 minutes. Come join us at 12 o'clock noon on Monday, 12 o'clock Pacific. If you want to be one of the squares here, one of the Brady Bunch squares, just make a comment wherever you're watching us saying, I'd like to participate. And uh, one of us will reach out to you. Make sure you're part of that. What do we got coming up next week, Carlos? Absolutely, Tulio. Thank you so much. Well, Tulio... Next week, we have a full week, too. Uh, Tuesday, we have uh, Livia Kasman from 28 Health, which is a telehealth company. And then on Wednesday, we have John Stern at Rinkpin. Rinkpin is a Q, uh, QR, uh, what's it called? Um, QR code, uh, QR code uh, mm -hmm. platform. Mm -hmm. I hope I, I got that right. And for customer support. And then finally, on Thursday, we're going to be speaking with Aria Lopez from NAC.io which is a platform for human resources and screening candidates on, on the web. So that's what we have for next week. And uh, we, unless we have you, fourth, if you have the we insight have fourth, on, the Wednesday, on the Wednesday morning show. Yes, we have a fourth that's yeah. with Swan have, okay, cool. at 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific. So we got four shows next week, another full week. Full house again, full house again, full week. Great. <laughs> okay, that's what well, we have right here on Dojo Live. At Thank you, no. Carlos. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thanks for Thank being you. with us, Miguel. And uh, we'll see you all back on Monday. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye-bye.
Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.